Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. I don't know if you know it or not, but you picked a really good day to be at church today. Man, we seen uh, what we seen. Let me let me bring you up to speed of what I seen this morning. We got to watch people declare, hey, I know this Jesus guy. And we got to sing a new song, uh, Firm Foundation. I don't know where Grace went to, but the lyrics were down, and she still killed it. It was really, really good stuff. And so we got to watch all of these wonderful examples of people sharing testimony like Cameron did, of what God's been doing in, in, in their life. And, and so we got to watch these people as examples for us to point to Jesus this morning. Amen? Amen. Uh, I don't know about you, or, or, but for me, have you ever had to navigate um, an, an uncertain moment? before? Have you ever had to navigate an uncertain moment before? For me, I remember way, way back in high school, we went to this youth camp our church did in, in Texas. Uh, we all went to Texas for, for youth camp, and at the camp during free time, you, you had a chance, an opportunity to go and do a lot of different activities. There was basketball, there was swimming, um, a lot of different rec games that you could do in your free time. But in the middle of the camp, there was this monster like 30-foot pole. And, and, and what people would do, some of them who were brave enough, is they would go up to this pole and they would have to climb to the top of the pole. And the only way to get down from the top of the pole was to jump off the top, to bungee your way down. Now, I'm not afraid of heights, okay? I've, I've done ropes courses and cliff diving and rock climbing and all that stuff. But there was no way I was going to get on top of that uh, pole and climb my way up, especially in the Texas summer heat, just sweating everywhere. Does anybody know about that Texas, Louisiana summer heat. Can you testify this morning? A few, okay, several of us. Yeah, it's like you, you walk outside and immediately you need to take another shower after you just got out of the shower because it's hotter than a jalapeno's armpit. Do you like that, Ted? Uh, that, that, that's Texas. So there was no way I was going to climb up, up this pole, but as I watched student after student um, put their helmet on, like that was going to help from a 30-foot job, but they put their helmet on, and they got strapped in. And what you would see is there was a leader in front, actually, telling them, hey, you follow me. You do what I'm doing. And so he would say, where I put my hand, you, you put your hand. Where I put my foot, you put my foot. And he was guiding them up this pole. And, and, and so when you're up this high, the pole, you know, it, it's shaking, things look different, the sky looks different, the ground looks different. But what he kept reminding the students who would go up the pole, he would say, keep your eyes on me, fix your eyes on me. What I do, you do. How I do it, you 
do it. One step, of, one step at a time, um, one step in front of the other. And if you'll remember from last week uh, with the Apostle Paul, he was telling Timothy kind of the same thing. He was saying, hey, Timothy, this environment around you, it's going to get shaky. It's, it's going to get a little disorienting. It's going to get dark and extreme and difficult. And, and Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, in the name of progress, people are going to progress away from the truth, and it's going to be really shaky for you. And so Pastor Johan opened up this uh, truth wars door for us last week with part one, and he talked about how we should avoid the ungodly examples. In our life, we are to avoid these kind of examples and it was difficult times that were brought about from difficult people. And uh, Johan walked us through. There was these false teachers, and they had this, uh, this list of sins. It was like 19 or something versions of sins, just in, just in a few verses that they had a catalog of sins. And Johan reminded us that these ungodly examples, he said you should avoid them. And he told us that they're characterized by three things that you can identify them. Um, by three key points you really see in these people. Number one, he said that they are self-centered that they're self-centered, these ungodly people, this ungodly example. Number two, he said they had religion, but it was just a show. It was a form of godliness. And then the third thing, he said that they would seek vulnerable women. So they were doing proselytizing that was evil. And so the big picture last week was for us, we need to walk away from and avoid ungodly examples. And today on the flip side, we're actually going to walk toward uh, godly examples for us to follow. So if you have your Bible uh, with you this morning, turn with me to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 10 through 13. This is week 10 of uh, our series, Finish the Fight. Do you love Jesus for us, church? Are you ready to study his word this morning? Amen. This is what it says. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, faith, my uh, patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from uh, them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This morning, the Apostle Paul is going to lay out this godly example for you, for me to follow. And it's actually him and, and his life. And so Paul tells Timothy uh, to, to remember his mentor's life, and that's kind of the same path we're going to continue down, because Timothy got to see what Paul did. He watched how Paul did life, um, how he navigated life, what he did in his life, and, and he's telling Timothy now, it's your turn to climb the pole on your own. And the way that you and me are going to help remember this today is it's going to come in three buckets for us. Um, we're going to remember three things about Paul. First, we're going to remember Paul the person. We're going to remember his life. We're going to remember Paul the person. Then number two, we're going to remember Paul's persecutions. We're going to remember Paul's persecutions and his sufferings. And then the third thing that we're going to remember this morning with the last uh, two verses is we're going to remember Paul's precepts. We're going to remember Paul's precepts. And, and so this little section this morning, it's really about encouragement uh, for the believer who could use some encouragement this morning. Okay, you in the way back. I got you, Kat. I'm coming for you this morning in encouragement. Um, hopefully by the end of our conversation, you will be able to follow Jesus better than when you first walked in here, amen? 
And so I'll pray for us, and and we'll just kind of work through this word together. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for loving us, and we thank you for the example of Paul and Timothy. And and Lord Jesus, we just come to you this morning and say, God, we need more. We need need more of you. We need more good, godly soldiers to add to the army, more more fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and and sons and daughters that that will faithfully preach and teach your word and, and live according to that standard. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would show us your truth this morning as you open up the scriptures in front of us and the Holy Spirit, you would come and ultimately teach us uh, what you have to say today. Lord Jesus, I know that some of us here in the room and on church online, God, sometimes we feel like, like Paul and we may feel oppressed and persecuted and perplexed. And, and if, if that's anyone here this morning, Jesus, I pray that you would just remind them, remind us, God, that we are, we are sustained by your grace. And, and though we are crushed, we are not destroyed. And so we look to you this morning, Father. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. So I, I want to first just quickly bring you up to speed just in case you haven't been with us the past uh, nine weeks in, in this study. I want you to remind you of the context that Paul's writing these uh, verses from as he writes them to his protege Timothy. Um, this is week 10. And so Paul, he's writing these words from a Roman jail, from a Roman prison to Timothy. And, and so first, I, I want you to remember that Rome's jail doesn't look like our jail today. Right, uh, there, this wasn't three meals, uh, bodybuilding in the yard, and a place to sleep at night. No, that's not what it was. But instead, and this would have been a hole that was dug twenty foot down into the ground, and Paul would have been just placed inside of it. And so, it's actually at one point in the in the letter, Paul writes to Timothy. He's like, Timothy, can you grab my coat and bring it with you? And because uh, imagine how cold it gets twenty foot down in the ground. And, 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 and the picture that I'm putting in front of you with that, I, I, I'm, I'm sharing that because Paul is only doing this. He's only suffering this because he truly believes. He truly believes Jesus. He's going to have his head chopped off um, shortly after this in a few weeks. And so there's nothing for him to gain in writing these words. But, 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 he, but for the writer of nearly half of the New Testament, these are some of Paul's very last words to the church Um, These are some of Paul's very last words to Timothy, and so he's earned our ear this morning. And so let's listen into what he has to say, looking first at verse 10. He says this, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. So the beginning of this truth war for us today in following, walking toward a godly example is this. We're going to remember Paul the person. We're going to remember his life. We're going to remember Paul the person the person. And so Paul, he's a guy that's been doing this for uh, around 30-something years, and and Timothy has been walking with him alongside of him for at least 15 of those years. He's been right there next to him in tow as he's um, done these trips and journeys and spread the gospel. And so he's reminding Timothy, uh, he said to Timothy, hey, in these last days, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. There's going to be some weird stuff going down and happening inside of the church. And, and, and so as a result of that, Paul puts in front of Timothy nine affirmations. Say nine. Nine. He puts in front of him nine affirmations in this text. And he's like, Paul, Paul's like saying to Timothy, he's like, he's looking at Timothy. He's like, hey, hey, man, I know that you've seen what I've done in my life. And I want you to know that I see you doing it too. 
I see the example that you've learned from me. Even if no one else sees, I see. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. And so really at a base level, this text is a text of encouragement from Paul to Timothy, which should encourage us, it should encourage you and me that the godly life has been done. Do you know that? People have been following Jesus for some 2,000 years. It's been accomplished, amen? And, and, and one of my um, favorite gospel-centered quotes comes from a gospel-centered life. It's from this guy um, named Nicholas von Zinzendorf. It's a fun name to say, Zinzendorf. And, and you may have seen part of his quote flipping around on the slides before service or after service. But here's the full quote I wanted to share with you. He says this, um, remember, you must never use your position to lord it over the heathen. Instead, you must humble yourself, earn their respect through your own quiet faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. The missionary must seek nothing for himself, no seat of honor or, or, or hope of fame. But like the cab horse in London, each of you must wear blinkers that blind you to every danger and to every snare and conceit. You must be content to suffer and to die and to be forgotten. I love that. I love that. It's been shortened now over the years to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And, and, and I love this picture that from church history we get of Count Z uh, because he's a guy that passed the torch well. See, Count Z, he was part of a, a, a community. He was a devout Lutheran, but he was a part of this community that was smaller than 600. And over the course of Two decades, he sent missionaries out all over the globe, more than 70 missionaries from a, a, a community smaller than, than 600. And I mean, you talk about somebody who's faithfully followed Jesus, man. And, and I could sit here, I could name to you, I'm sure you could too, believer after believer who has faithfully followed the Lord Jesus and the example of Paul because their legacy went on even after they were buried in the ground because their life really wasn't about them at all, but it was about Christ. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, man, I seem to hear all these conversations, and it seems like it's getting uh, worse every day. I hear these conversations, you know, about, about gas prices getting higher and about the stock market getting lower and, and that we may be entering into or are in currently a, a, a recession. And, and when you think about or hear these stories, it really makes you consider, what should I invest my life in? What should I invest in? What's really gonna have an ROI when I'm six feet in the ground? And and can I just tell you, church, it's this. It's finding and following a godly example that is always, always, always worth the investment. See, Paul knew um, in carrying Timothy along with him, Paul knew that Timothy was gonna be taught a lot of the things that Paul was, was doing, but much of his life was also caught from Timothy, and you see it in these seven different ways here. He says to Timothy, he goes, you know what I've taught, how I've lived, my purpose in this life, you know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, and I see these in you. He was taught it, but he also caught it. My, my three-year-old, um, Jordy, he's potty training right now. You may have heard me say that before. And, and, and like he, he knows how to do everything, but I say he's training still because he, until he can accomplish everything by himself without a helper, he's still training to me, right? And, 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 and so luckily he's got number one down uh, now. Uh, there for a while we were cleaning parts of the toilet that we didn't even know existed, you know? Um, all your boy moms will know what I'm talking about with that one. And so he, he's got that part down, but he really is, he's struggling, um, 
I'm trying to think of a sanctified way to say this. He's, he's struggling um, with number two to finish the job. We'll just put it like that. He's struggling to finish the job. And so um, the other night before my wife came home, Friday, she got off work. Before she came home to the house, uh, Jordy actually uh, accomplished this on his own. And you could see the determination on his face and, like, the sweat rolling down, you know, as he was there. And, and um, he actually did everything by, by himself. And, and in that moment... The things that we had been teaching him, he caught, right? Like, we, we took it as far as we could take it. We were rewarding him with candy. Um, he's interrupted plenty of bathroom sessions, and so he knew what to do. But, like, he actually finally did it and, and applied it, and it was like this, this crazy, amazing moment. It was like the Super Bowl at our house. If you would have walked in our house at that moment, you would have thought we just won Publishers Clearinghouse or something because we were high-fiving each other, and then uh, we had to wash the poop off of our high-five hands, and then we high-fived again, um, and we were just celebrating, confessing. He fell from the heavens. It was a beautiful thing. But you teachers, you leaders, you parents, isn't it such an amazing thing when the person or people you've been investing in and teaching actually catch what you've seen, what you've talked about, what you've done, and you see them do those things? It's an amazing, amazing moment. And I think to some degree, the Apostle Paul may be having an adult potty party here um, with, with Timothy. And, 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 and in this moment, he uses this as an opportunity to encourage Timothy. And the first thing he says, or he compliments, is the teaching. First, it was Paul's teaching as you look at the text. This is something that Timothy had caught. See, Paul's teaching, it explained his life, and Paul's life exemplified his teaching. And it was lived out for other people to see it. He didn't, he didn't have some secret message about Jesus, but it was lived out in the open. It wasn't Paul and three others doing church at home. It was Paul out in the open spreading the gospel so people could see him in his teaching. And it was shared with others. And I think that teaching, maybe it comes up first in this list of affirmation because it is so paramount to the Apostle Paul. It's so paramount and such a huge foundation for and theological baseline, really for everything else that he says. Because if the teaching fails, every other affirmation on this list crumbles. And so for us to follow this model of the Apostle Paul, to follow his example, I want to encourage you to, to, to encourage those who teach well. To encourage those who teach well. And not to, be, not to be self-serving in this in any way. But whenever your pastors get up here to preach, whoever it is that get up here to preach on, on Sunday, right? They, they've been doing some work in, in the word. And we are so excited to share what God the Holy Spirit has said to us in secret as we've labored over the word of God. And, and, and when he's spoken something to us, we get, we get so excited about it. And so whenever you, whenever you uh, affirm that, whenever you speak corporately as we're, as we're preaching, what it does is it edifies and it encourages us. And one, at least that we're on the right track. And so whenever you speak up, right, Logan? Whenever you speak up, it, it, it makes us uh, know that we're following the right thread, amen? Okay, a few people's with me this morning. But also on the other side, like maybe you've been wrestling and the Lord has been saying something to you in private and, and you're unsure of and then like you come Sunday and there, there's a, a word or a song or something like Cameron was talking about that just points back to the Lord Jesus and he affirms it, man. There is nothing, nothing like that, amen? And even to take this a step further, um, for you, if you see a a D group leader or a rest group leader or your student pastor or someone who's teaching in our kids, if you see them handling the word of truth well, encourage them in it. 
Encourage them in their teaching. If you see them doing, doing it well. You know, I don't remember every conversation I've had with you um, over the past couple of months. I just don't. But I do remember, I do remember uh, that Ted Smith has encouraged me twice over the past couple of months, uh, that Carl encouraged me recently, that Johan encouraged me recently. And all the while, they didn't know, but I, I found myself in moments going, Jesus, is, is what I'm doing, does it really matter? Like, is this really worth, is this doing anything for your kingdom? And they didn't know, but the Holy Spirit knew, and he affirmed through them me. You have to encourage those around you. And we actually have this heart checklist thing for the worship team. And it says this, you have no idea how one conversation, one word of encouragement or one expression of love might change someone's life. See, Paul lived the way that he lived because he believed certain things. What he believed in his teaching, it determined how he behaved. And he's seen this new behavior pattern in Timothy. And that pattern is conduct as we move through the text. See, there was a particular way that Paul just did life. There was a particular way that Paul lived his life. And Timothy wanted to live his life that way. And evidently he did because Paul compliments him on it. And, and, and let's be honest, man, what is, what is all of the best teaching in the world matter if you don't have conduct or application to it? It's irrelevant. And so he says this, this, this conduct has movement here. And my grandpa, he would always tell me he was a preacher. And he would always tell me, say, Adam, never preach better than you live. Never preach better than you live. And I want you to know, I think about that every time I get into this pulpit, every time I get on my knees before the Lord Jesus and I go, God, I, just, I pray my conduct Doug, matches my mouth. So how is your conduct? Let me just ask this morning. Since the moment you met Jesus and it progressed in your sanctification, what's the movement been like? Does your conduct reflect that your heart has been won by the Lord? Or recently, even this week, how have you moved closer toward the Lord Jesus? Have you encouraged those around you as you've seen their conduct trek toward godliness? Because this was Paul's aim in life, next in the text. This is why he's doing what he's doing in the first place. This is the why behind his conduct. This was the purpose that he existed for. Paul, he had a purpose. He wasn't just going around aimlessly in life without a reason. But he had a purpose, and it was to live for something more than personal comfort or personal pleasure or money or fame or stuff. Paul wasn't using religion as a way to get a better place in life. He was aiming at something else. He was aiming at someone else. And it was this single-minded direction that he, that he tells and he encourages the Ephesian church in Acts 20. Listen to this. This is what he says about his life. He says, my life's worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. Everything about Paul flowed from that place. Everything about Paul flowed from that aim in life, that singular passion and focus, which is the same for you and me. We must, we must also side by side give our lives over to that purpose in each of our own contexts. Meaning this, that the house that you live in, 
the car that you drive, the places that you play, the places that you work, the people that you come in contact with in your home or at the grocery store, whatever it is that you do, working for the Lord and not for men, does it flow, does it all flow from a place aimed at loving and serving Jesus? And, and I hate to say this because I hate when preachers say this. They're like, remember, if you forget everything else, remember this one thing. But I'm going to say that for this. If you forget everything else, if you can't remember any of the other affirmations in this text, remember this. Let me encourage you to make it your aim of life to pursue Jesus. And here's why. Because whenever you put that kind of eternal perspective on problems or prospering, Whenever you put that eternal mindset on, it's going to totally and and drastically change the way that you do life. It's going to drastically change the way that you treat people. When you have an eternal 50,000 foot focus on you, Timothy's aim in life from Paul, he's seen this. He he wanted that for himself, and evidently he got it. And and as you look in this text, you may notice that it's kind of following this um, waterfall pattern that one kind of feeds off of the, the other. Uh, his teaching directs his conduct, and his aim of life was the motive behind his conduct. And so with the next four, um, it's faith, patience, love, and steadfastness. These four should be familiar to you because we've already went over them um, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul already mentions these earlier on, so don't, we're not going to trek back through them because we've already, already done that. But I wanted to show you here, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's encouraging Timothy to do these things. And here on the flip side, in 2 Timothy, Paul's saying, hey, I've seen these things in you now. So the challenge was in 1 Timothy, and, and, and Timothy has followed through in this. And, and of course, none of these things, none of these affirmations is credited to Paul at all, but it's all credited to the transforming grace in, in, in Paul's life and in Timothy's life. And so church, who do you need to encourage this morning? Whether it's in their teaching or conduct or purpose or faith or patience or love or steadfastness. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take out your phone or take out your pencil and I want you to write their name down right now. If you're just staring at me, I know you're not doing it, okay? So don't be big chief, no fun, sitting with your arms crossed. But write, write this down. Think of someone that the Lord is encouraging you like you've seen them grow in their teaching or their conduct or their purpose or their steadfastness or their love or their patience or their faith. R- write their name down. And tell them about it. Say, hey, you know, I, when I seen you, you were here, but it looks like you've moved here. And I just want to say that is so cool to see what God's doing in your life. Encourage them. Don't leave it on the table this morning. And, and when we do this, when we remember Paul's life, it ultimately uh, helps us remember uh, Jesus's life to follow those examples. Now, th- that list of affirmations that we just went through, those weren't the only things that, was, that were taught to Timothy, but we find out next in the text that he actually caught some other things along with these affirmations. In verse 11, it says this, uh, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So this is number two. We're gonna remember it to be, to be a godly example, to follow a godly example. This morning, we're gonna remember Paul's persecutions We're going to remember Paul's persecutions. And so Timothy, as you hopefully know by now, he had this really unique and and interesting and intimate relationship and understanding of Paul's uh, prospering and of Paul's persecution because he had a front row seat to most of it. 
And persecution, by the way, um, persecution in our day, it's not, it's not really quite the same um, as it was for early first century Christians. Or, or at least persecution for Christians in America isn't quite the same uh, as it was for early first century Christians. And, and, and here's what I mean. For us right now in this country, there are over 380,000 Christian churches. 380,000. For the majority of uh, Americans uh, claim to or identify with Christ. It's legal for you to follow Jesus in this country. It's legal for you to proclaim Jesus. It's legal for you to convert to Christianity. We, we don't want to miss all of those things that, that we are blessed with. And, and, and also we don't want to pretend that everyone is out to, to get us. But let's be clear on this. Most of us, most of you have it pretty good most of the time. Most of us have it pretty good most of the time. We're not getting beheaded. We're not being chased down. We're not being tossed to lions. No one's digging a hole to stick us down in the ground or thrown into prison for our faith. And, uh, and American, American persecution, it, it usually sounds like this. Someone will come and go, Pastor, you're not gonna believe this, but I got cussed out today. This might cuss me out. It's the devil out trying to get me. And I'm like, no, Karen, it's, it's because you, you didn't use your turn signal at the light. It has nothing to do with the Jesus sticker on the back of your car, right? But that, that's what we, we think about when we think about persecution in America, you know. Now, I will say we, are, we do get persecuted in America, sure. Um, it's just not as consistently or as intensely as it is for other Christians in other parts of the world right now. But we are persecuted and 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 one thing we definitely face as americans um christian americans is social persecution we face a social persecution maybe no one's using violence against you um but we do face from time to time social persecution in first peter 4 it sheds some light about the mindset about this about those who socially persecute christians listen to this um, 1 Peter 4, 3-4 through 4 says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, all lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Did you catch this? Non-believers are surprised when you don't join in with their idolatry. And so they might slander you, they might ridicule you, the, according to the text, they will malign you. And, and so church, if we're, if we're not willing to have others think us strange for Jesus, if we are not willing to be outcasts for the, the cause of Christ, if we're not willing to be rejected by some for the sake of Jesus, I, I just got to tell you, I don't think you can ever truly be a follower of Jesus then. And let me, bring, let me bring one really relevant um, current example to this. I seen an Instagram post the other day, and uh, it's June, so it's Pride Month. And in this, in this post, uh, it was someone who was, uh, uh, it was an allusion to the Passover, basically. And it was someone who was painting a, a, uh, a rainbow over the doorposts of homes. And under the caption, it said this. I'll just read it to you. It said, uh, when the progressives go through the land... Uh, 
being canceled by conservatives, they will see the LGBTQ plus flag on the door frame and will pass by that doorway and they will not permit the mobs to enter your houses and, and strike you down. It said allies 1223. And, um, and look, I'm not, I, I'm not here to condemn, uh, condemn you if you're, if you're part of that community because Jesus, he, he loves every sinner. So, so please, please uh, hear, hear my heart on this. But I, but I also know what I'm saying isn't the popular opinion. Um, but I'm not, I'm not here for popularity points um, in preaching today. So, so make no mistake about this. A homosexual lifestyle, it's not just a particular sin, but it's, fo- it's following another religion, a different God. And, and think about this with me. There are, there are priests and festivals and parties and flags and songs all dedicated to this God. And so what happens with that or any, any other idol is that there's a temptation for you and for me, just like there was a temptation for the people of Israel, that we become um, unified or uh, syncretic with the culture around us, but, but, but we, 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 we can't um, do that. There's this constant temptation for us to stick with culture standard of, of holiness and not, and not the scriptures. There's a temptation for you and me to go, hey, you know, but they're a really good person. They have a really great heart, though. They do so many wonderful things uh, for the community. It's unloving for you to call this, this sin. And, and, and church, let me remind you, whenever you stand on the word of God, man, culture is, is, is going to oppose you. You better believe you're going to face some social persecution when, when you try to redeem things such as God's rainbow back, back to him as God's promise. You're going to face social persecution. When, when the right or the left is pulling you like divorced parents toward their side and, and you're like, I can't, I can't agree with all of this because, you know, the word of God says this, you better believe you're going to face some social persecution. And this is just one of, of many ways this happens, and I, and, and I know because I've experienced it. And, and so as a godly example, it's your job, it's our job to first approach these communities, whatever community it is, with the gospel so that we can give a, an account for the hope that lives in us. So that we can tell, talk about how we've been brought from death into life. And so we must, we must preach and, and, and speak the truth no matter the persecution we face. We must both proclaim God's truth alongside of his redemptive grace. John Stott, he said this once, he said, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. It's the clash of two irreconcilable value systems. And, 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 you know, persecution is a form of suffering. Everyone suffers. That's a byproduct of the fall. We all suffer. But not all of us will be persecuted. Not everyone will be, will be persecuted. And, and what's so amazing on this is that the Apostle Paul saw that persecutions and sufferings that he endured, that it was, it was actually seen, he had the foresight to see that it was required or designed for the church. Do you see that? So that we could proclaim the message of Jesus. That's why in, in the book of Colossians in chapter 1 around verse 24, he says that he rejoices in his sufferings. Now, This doesn't mean that the cross was insufficient for you or for me, but it means that in the ongoing work and ministry of Jesus' bride, the church, us, it it, it means that being a godly example includes suffering. 
It includes suffering. So I want you to see that suffering and persecution is not an, uh, an action that catches God off guard. It's not. But why do we suffer in the first place? Why do we face persecution? Easy, the same reason that Jesus Christ did. And this is from John 3.19. That the light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And Paul goes on in the text to mention three specific locations that he faced this persecution at. He says Antioch, uh, Iconium, and Lystra. And, and there's two, I won't get into this too deep, but there's two basic reasons I think he mentions these. Um, Timothy wasn't on Paul's first missionary journey with him. Um, these things happened in Paul's first missionary journey. There are plenty of examples to pull from Paul's second missionary journey, which is when Timothy shows up. Paul brings back to these three. Number one, I think he does it to show Timothy that suffering and persecution have always been part of the story. And number two, um, Lystra is Timothy's hometown. Uh, Antioch and Iconium are surrounding towns uh, around Lystra. And so Paul mentions this, reminding, reminding Timothy that, that persecution comes with the call to, to follow Jesus. See, in Lystra, it's where uh, Timothy, or Timothy was recruited by Paul. Remember, Paul uh, went into Lystra at one point. You can read about this in Acts 13, 14, maybe through 16. But Paul goes into Lystra. He's preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus and how he's the Savior. And they, they, they beat him up. They run him out of town. They stone him. Uh, Paul comes back then. He's got a black eye. He's leading Bible study. He's telling more people about Jesus. Um, and, and he asks at some point, he goes, hey, who's the best in, in town? Who's the best among you? And everyone points at Timothy. And so Timothy's the one that, that, that rises up to come with Paul from hearing the gospel preached by Paul. It's this full circle, really cool, really amazing thing. And, and so Paul is telling Timothy, reminding him, hey, look, no matter where you go, where you're from, you're gonna face persecution and suffering. And for us, um, those two words in there, persecution and suffering, you can look at it in your text. Persecution and suffering, those are two words, I think, that can defeat your faith probably didn't think you'd hear that this morning, but persecution and suffering, there are two, those are two words I think that can, can defeat, defeat your faith because what we'll do sometimes in our suffering, in our persecution, is we'll go, God, you know, you're a good God, and so if I, if I do good things for you, shouldn't, shouldn't good things happen to me? Like, God, where, where's, my, where's my sense of justice? Where, 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 where's my uh, karma at? It can, cause us, it can cause us to go to that place. That's basically what every other world religion says. There's some sort of cosmic karma that you follow. But what do you do when that doesn't happen? It shatters your faith. But the truth of the gospel that Jesus taught, that Paul is reminding Timothy about, is that persecution and suffering can be encouragement to the believer. He's saying these things can be encouragement, actually, to you. Because it reflects following Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 5, he, he was talking to the disciples and a large crowd was listening in. And he said, hey, you want to know the path to the blessed life? Listen to this. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. There's is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets that were before you too. That's the encouragement, church. That this life is hard, 
that, that it hits hard, but if my suffering, if my persecution paint a better portrait for people to see Jesus, then by all means, do it. That is a truth that no suffering can ever defeat. And I've got to just tag this last word from Paul here. Remember, he's in a hole in the ground. He's in a hole. And he says this, those persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Man, so I got to know, I know you may be sleepy, but can I just know in the assembly in front of anybody, is anyone excited here this morning that the Lord has rescued them? Like, like that you have been signed and sealed and delivered because Jesus, I'm yours. Can anybody get with me on that this morning? I'm telling you, man, if that doesn't start a fire inside of you that you've been rescued by the Lord Jesus, man, then your wood is wet this morning. Yet from all of them, the Lord rescued me, but it's weird because Paul's still in a hole, right? He's still, he's still down in the ground. Yet he says, yet the Lord rescued me. He remembered his persecutions and he knew, he knew God was 100% able to, to, to save and rescue him again from this situation or, or that he might not. Either way, Paul was at peace though. Either way, Paul was at peace because Jesus doesn't promise us that life is gonna be easy. In fact, anyone that says that, I would challenge that the scriptures actually teach the opposite of it. That when you follow Jesus, things actually get harder for you. And so what we do in these moments is we say, man, hey, praise God that he's delivered me from this, that he's rescued me. Or, or if that doesn't happen, earthly speaking, we say, hey, hey, praise God that, he, that he's seen me, that, 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 that he has counted me worthy to suffer for his name. Church, this is why it is so important for you to be part of a community of faith. Because there is nothing like you're going through something a suffering or a persecution. And, and odds are there's another brother or sister in the church that has experienced the same thing. There's nothing like being inside of that storm and hearing a fellow believer outside of it say, hey, hey, can I tell you how the Lord has rescued me from this pit? Can I tell you what he's done for me? And, and according to his word, I know that he can do it for you too. There's nothing like hearing that encouragement. And so we remember Paul's persecution. Last verses, 12 and 13. We remember Paul the person, we remember his persecutions, and lastly, we're gonna remember his precepts. A, a precept is a godly guideline and instructs our behavior. Last two verses. Say this, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul, Paul here, he's reminding Timothy when you're, when you're taking some hits, so it kind of shifts gears. When you're taking some hits, when, when you're taking some dings, that, that can be an indication that you're on the right path. That should be an indication that you're probably, probably going the right way. I think of Luke 6.26 with this. When Jesus said these words, Woe, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Because when this happens, it, it probably means that you don't stand for a whole lot. But again, if you want to follow Jesus and, and be a godly example, you're going you're gonna to meet some resistance. Paul told the, the, the church at Philippi in, in chapter 1, he says, It's been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You shouldn't just believe in him, but also 
suffer for his sake. In John chapter 15, Jesus told them, he said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And then in 1 John chapter 3, he echoes those words of Jesus and he said, don't be surprised that the world hates you. Now, what's crazy about this one is that the context on it, um, John, he's talking about how we might face persecution as Christians because we love one another. Isn't that crazy? Like some people will be drawn to Christ because of your love for Jesus and, and some people will become enraged by it. So we remember Paul's precept this morning that, that the suffering that you come across, that hard phone call that you've got, that, that sickness that has attacked you or, or, or a loved one, how hard it was when it caught you off guard, man. Those kind of moments, it can create this whiplash sort of effect in your faith, which is not the firm foundation that we, we sang about this morning. So we need reminded of this precept or, we, or we've forgotten it altogether and just aren't remembering it. We need to regularly be reminded of this truth that, that suffering, that persecution is part of it. Because here's what's happening. As you're enduring, okay, as you're, as you're holding fast, as you're enduring on this side, on the other side, the text says this, that, that evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. That means they're flourishing. The deceiving and being deceived. So Paul first says, uh, or secondary, he uses the word imposters. That's a fake, right? That's the Judases of the world, someone who rises up to take the position and authority of, a, of an apostle but actually destroys uh, the church from the inside. He says that imposters and evil people, evil people are those who just openly uh, oppose Jesus Christ. He says these two type groups, that they will continue on deceiving and, and being deceived. And, and 2 Corinthians 4, 4 shows some insight for us. I just wanna share it with you of why it says this in their case the god little g of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of god the deceiving and being deceived is coming from a place of that they are blind that they have been blinded they have been deceived and so now they are too deceiving and, and so like like i said earlier motives motives are really important right motives are important but sometimes we place too much emphasis on them because a lot of harm have been have been done by a lot of people who were sincerely deceived and who tried to do wrong things out of wonderful motives and because others look in it you know they're they're wonderful hearts we tend to accept dangerous deceptions. But we cannot go on motive alone, church. We must measure also by the standard of truth. We can't default to, well, hey, this is a really good, good person. They mean really well. It is the object of your faith and not just the sincerity of your faith that's primary. And who is that object? You can answer back. Jesus, right? Jesus. Because you can be sincerely wrong in self-deception. And you better believe, man, if I can fool me, you guarantee I can fool you too. They were going from um, bad to worse, deceiving because they were deceived. I'm wrapping this up. In the scriptures, when you look at the word uh, truth in the Hebrew and the Greek, um, it has this, uh, this idea of support instability and you can pull that up the um the hebrew one of the hebrew words is a mat 
And it, and it comes back to reiterate these two things of both faithfulness and fact, of faithfulness and fact in regard uh, to the truth. So God is both of these, right? God is both faithful and also he's 100% right all the time. In, in the Psalms, David prayed this. Um, he said, in your hand I commit my spirit. You redeem me, O Lord, faithful God. So God is true or, or he is faithful. The truth is faithful. And then on the, on the, on the flip side of that, amet, it means conforming to reality. It, it, it is uh, several passages you see this, this phrase show up where it says, if it's true, and what that, all that means when you read that in the Bible is if the charge is confirmed, if there's confirmation to back it up, right? And, and, and so this is what's authentic. This is what's reliable. Um, this is what's right. This is in contrast to anything that's deceitful, anything that's wrong. And, and after Elijah came and he raised uh, the widow of Zarephath's son, um, she said this back to him. She said, now I know that you're a man of God and the word of the Lord in your mouth it's true. She said, I've seen it. It was confirmed, so I know it's true. So God is both true in the sense of faithful and fact. One day, Pontius Pilate, he interrogated Jesus before, before the crucifixion. You're probably familiar with that story. And, and Jesus said this, everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. And Pilate responds back to him there. He says, um, he says Jesus, you're the, you're the king. What, what is truth? And, and in this moment, we believe as followers of Jesus that, that, that Pilate was asking um, about truth, staring truth in the face. See, truth itself, it doesn't decay. This is what today's about, a truth war. Truth itself, the person of Jesus, it doesn't decay. Our interpretation of it, our application of it might fail, but truth himself never fails. And I'm setting this precedent of biblical truth to share with you this last apologetic in this truth war. I heard this a while back, I wanted to share it with you. It was the question of why do people even go to church? Why do people, pull that up. Why do people even go to church? Maybe it'll pull up. Maybe you heard somebody um, say that before or, or, or argue um, for it. Some will go, well, you know, hey man, I don't go to church because the church, she hurt me or she's messy or um, you know, maybe she is fundamentally flawed, and so I just, I just don't, I don't do the whole, whole church thing. Maybe the church hurt me, but let me just submit to you, if that's you, and you're over here, not only is this a form of solipsism, that the self is all that can be known, but if you're over here, and the church is broken over here, and you're the hero that sees its brokenness, why not step in to do something and fix it? Because you need to be very conscious about what you're walking away from. See, in the scriptures, sometimes we'll cherry pick truths that we want to follow. And according to the scriptures, when, when we're either all in or we're all out. And so if, if you're walking away from the bride of Christ, sometimes we'll say this. Uh, we say this a lot, Johan. Like, uh, you can't love Jesus and not love the bride, right? We say that a lot. Well, this is what we mean when we say that. If you're going to dissociate yourself from the bride... You need to think about what else you're walking away from. You're walking away from uh, marriage and weddings because God, God is the creator of, of both of those. You're walking away from funerals because what's, what's the purpose? What's the point? Why remember someone when they're, when they're gone if there's no purpose? You're walking away uh, from Christmas 
that's based off of the birth of, of Jesus. You might as well throw out your calendar and your clock and any sense of time because all of that is based on Jesus Christ. Either you are all in or you are all out when it comes to the scriptures. And, and that's the truth. What I'm saying is that both systematically and theologically, you're either all in or all out when it comes to truth. And in this, in this truth war church, Jesus through Paul is reminding us, he's going, hey, 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 just, just fix your eyes on me. Take this, take this one step at a time in, in your faith. Jesus is saying, hey, it's gonna get hard. They're gonna hit you, they hit me too. But when that happens, cut in behind me and the godly examples in front of you and we'll get through this chaos together. Because it's one step at a time, one foot in front of the other, follow my example. 